Welcome to another episode of Adoption, The Making of Me. I'm Louise Brown. And I'm Sarah Reinhardt. Make sure to find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook as Adoption, The Making of Me podcast. You can also find us at our website, adoptionthemakingofme.com. And please remember to subscribe, share, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. Hey, Louise. Hi, Sarah. Here we are for another chapter review from Journey of the Adopted Self by Betty Jean Lifton. We've got chapter 12, The Painted Bird. This chapter just really left me feeling just sad. Yeah. Really lingering sadness. That's what you said Um, when we got on. I was like, me too. I feel the same way. It's all about like being a bastard. You know, that's illegitimate bastard, which thankfully that word seems to have fallen out of fashion, but it starts off with a quote. The problem with telling a child he's a bastard is that it is a negative identity. Shakespeare's bastards are full of rage because no one trusts them, which is a quote by Eric Erickson. Yeah. And if you think about that, the quote is actually from Eric Erickson, who's a psychiatrist, right? Yeah. Yeah. Pretty heavy. And right away, I was like, oh, it is a harsh word, even illegitimate. Yeah. In fact, it says the knowledge of having arrived illegitimately into the world is buried deep in the adoptee's unconscious, waiting to be tapped. Yeah. I had a lot of different thoughts going through this chapter of like how there was this aha moment she talked about when you don't think you're illegitimate, but maybe you meet the family, you know, you're having a, she said it comes up a lot in reunion Mm -hmm. and you're meeting the family. And then all of a sudden they don't want to really say who you are to people. Right. That came up a lot in this. And it's like the shame all of a sudden, oh, because you know, you're going through your life. I'm adopted. I'm special, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, well, maybe you're not. And I had a greater appreciation for my biological mom's family because they really embraced me. They found me and embraced me. And I, at the time had no idea that that would be important to my psyche, but I do think it is important. Absolutely. I was thinking all through the chapter, like, wow, I'm really grateful that Tilda, you know, talked to her other children, my siblings, all about me. They knew about me from the time they were little. She, you know, embraced me. And same with my biological father's family. You know, he died long ago, but they weren't suspicious or weird or anything. They were, they just, you know, I'm your Aunt Beverly. And I'm, you know, really just, I have yet to meet them, but just social media, talking yeah. on the phone, all that stuff. So it's a big thing. I, I don't know yet about my biological dad's side. So that's yet to be determined, but I do feel with my biological mom, that would have been really painful had they been, I mean, had I done the searching and had I looked and they said, Oh, mm, we don't want to know you type of thing. You know, we, yeah, there were some just terrible, sad stories. These are obviously Betty Jean's patients, you know, because she talks about how she would, you know, get in there and kind of, help be the middleman if need be just really finding out that your biological mother is dead. Like you had that, you know, so she has a whole thing about that. Yeah. The thing when she got into the dead mother, can you be rejected by the dead mother? I was like, Oh, this is kind of an interesting (laughs) segue. And I guess you can, but that would come through their family. And that's where I was like, okay, 
you know, like the, was, yeah, the one man says like my sister. Would, yes. Yeah. Like he said, Oh, my sister would have really loved you and been proud of you, but please stay back here and say you're somebody else at this event. And like, and it's like feeling like an affair, you know, affair. I still want to read that book, an affair with my mother that someone recommended to us. Just the title alone makes me yeah. After this chapter kind of want to skip to that a little bit. Was it Betty Jean Lifton who had the experience where they invited her to a family function and wanted her to come as different people? Yes. Yes. And that's when she stopped communicating with her. She stopped seeing her birth mother then. And she thought, well, maybe I should have gone because that would have been the only time to have the little break in to even know these people. Yes. But how was for her? Was it somebody else? She talked about it though. Yeah. And then I like that she does say, you know, she tells to her adoptees in counseling, it's, it's not you, the birth mother is rejecting, but her former self. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like did they, she talked about like they bury themselves. You're having mm-hmm. a funeral for yourself when you let go of that baby, especially the more shame that was around it. The women who had no choice, like there was a uh, one situation where the woman had a journal with her mother letters back and forth. And they were documenting like, oh, I'm buying a couch today in the color of my living room. Oh, the baby was born. Thank God that's over. Yes, and yes, then yes. Still journaling with back and forth with the daughter, and it just went on like it never happened to her. Yes. Not like, how do you feel? You know, just like that's behind us now. That's behind us. And it yes. wasn't, there was never an acknowledgement that it was even a baby. It was like, well, then I thought this, this was a good line. Adoptees who are turned away by their birth mothers often feel as if, as if they have been absorbed the infanticidal fantasies of the woman who unwillingly carried them. They were aborted after they were born rather than after they were conceived. That's a huge quote. Yeah. I mean, just think of those words you just said. That's a lot going on (laughs) even in today's culture with what's going on with adoption and the conversations as well. You know, what made me sad too is why this is even called the painted bird. I know like the chapter because I was trying to look for it. Here it goes. It was uh, Jerry Kaczynski's novel of that same name separated from its flock yes. by a sadistic peasant. The brown bird is painted all over in brilliant colors and then released. It soars happy and free pulled by some instinctive force towards its kin who do not recognize it. The painted bird circles from one end of the flock to the other, vainly trying to assure the other birds that it mm. is one of them. But dazzled by its alien colors, they fly around it unconvinced and then charge toward the intruder. The changeling is attacked from all sides. And shortly, the many huge shape loses its place in the sky, drops to the ground and dies. That's the part that made me so sad. Like I read that and I was like, I kind of sat there a minute thinking, first of all, she's once again a great writer, how she brings everything in and thinks of things like this to tie in. But it really made me think it's they didn't recognize their own bird. You know, you don't yeah, recognize your own, own family, yeah. your own family. There was one part right after that. This is, I think, good for adoptees. It says, I'm often asked whether oh, yeah, I, think- that I highlighted that. You- yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I am often say. asked whether I think a birth mother has the right to shut out the child she brought into the world. My answer is an unequivocal no. As for whether adoptees have the right to meet with the birth mother at least once to hear their life story, an unequivocal Yes. As one birth mother said, you can't relinquish all the responsibilities for parenthood just by relinquishing the child. Mm-hmm. And I like that she said that because we have had guests, many guests, we've met so many people through this who have 
it's been that like, sorry, that wall. And Mm -hmm. she does say you have a right to know your parents, both parents, actually, like everybody. But then to go on, because, you know, there would be an argument about does the child have a right to demand a relationship with the birth mother after she gives the information? No, the child did not have that right to intrude on the life if that's not what the birth mother wants. And then, you know, so... It's kind of like, and then the, the birth, right and knowledge. then the birth mother doesn't have the right to intrude on the child if that's not what they want. Right. So, but in terms of meeting, getting your questions answered, you have a right to knowledge. Right? Yeah, you it's have a like, right to knowledge. What did they say here? A family therapist, Randolph Severson, points out all people who walk the face of the earth possess the inalienable right to know their history and to meet the man and woman from whom they drew breath. But like yeah, she we says. Both- we liked all the good ones together, (laughs) but you don't have the, someone else, one of our guests had said that somewhere along the way that you don't have the right to relationship, but everyone deserves to know where they come from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's for sure true because some people don't even want to search because they're so scared of the relationship, but I feel like we've told maybe deep down they're scared of the reject, the potential rejection, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. But at the same time, remember, we we had somebody on recently, we won't say, well, we're like, no, sir, it's just for knowing who you are. Because yes. for me, it was so healing to figure out who the heck I am. It was searching for the birth father because I think they had found their oh, right. birth mother. Is that the one which we he'll laugh about it too? Where you're like, did you come for money? You got any money? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get all kinds right. of things. Yeah. What was it? are you trying to get money or something? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. You're Uh, alive. I don't have any money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Parking up the wrong tree. This chapter just left me feeling sad, you know? Yeah. It's a little sad, this one. And grateful that I didn't have, you know, that I had a good experience with meeting. Yeah. Me too. And also the fact that we came along when we did, because the, in the forties, they actually used that word. I know to the kids. That was kind of the history of just the word and like people just directly saying to you, oh, you're a bastard. Can you imagine that? I've never really had that. I'm I'm sure people uh, out yeah. there have, but thank God I haven't. I certainly didn't. Yeah, it's, it's harsh, but it is, you know, she did even bring up some contemporary people who have said it recently in the media. And I was like, yeah, oh, well, who we know? Well, contemporary 30 years ago when this book <laughs> right. was written. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that person has some problems. Yeah. <laughs> Lots has come out after that. Well, speaking of bastards, our next guest. No, just kidding. <laughs> our next guest is great. Yes, as, as all of our guests are. Yeah. So. See you he, in a few minutes. See you in a few minutes. Bye. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Louise and I talked about it for months, and we were intimidated until we heard about Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is hands down the best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. Podcasting isn't hard. Believe me, if Louise and I could figure it out, anyone can. We got a mic, some headphones, parked ourselves in our closets, and that was it. Buzzsprout did the rest. You get a great looking podcast website and you can track all of your analytics to see how your podcast is doing. So if you follow the link in our show notes, it lets Buzzsprout know we sent you and you get a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. And bonus, you help support our show. 
Hey, we just want to give a shout out to all of our Patreons to say thank you. We are so grateful for your support. And really, we can't thank you enough. If anyone would like to contribute, you can go to patreon.com and search adoption, the making of me. So many people have reached out wanting to be guests, and we would love to come to you weekly to make that happen. Your support will help us get there. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you. Thanks. So here we are with our next guest. And our guest was actually a guest of ours on Facebook Live recently. He runs a chapter of Adoptees Connect with another person in Atlanta. And here's Michael Knox. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. So, Michael, how are you here? Tell us your adoption story. and Yeah, or just your story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my story starts back in, you know, 1961 when I was adopted from the Cradle Society in Chicago, Illinois, which, as it turns out, you know, I didn't care about, but I found out like, you know, Bob Hope and Red Skelton and all the Hollywood bigwigs would go to the Cradle Society for their babies. You know, the blonde hair, I don't have blonde anymore, but I still have blue eyes, <laughs> you know, blonde hair, blue eyes guy. So, you know, I didn't, you know, I was adopted a couple of years later, my sister was adopted and lo and behold, you know, the chosen one, as we talk about, she came along after 14 years of marriage and mom got pregnant with, you know, my other sister. So growing up, was interesting. We were in Chicago. So wait, there were two adoptees and then she got pregnant? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were living in Chicago when she got pregnant and moved to Southern California. So my baby sister was born in Southern California. What I didn't realize until I found my family, as I said, you know, is that my mom was an only child to my grandmother. This is adopted side who was an only child to a very wealthy, influential man in the 1900s. Very, very wealthy, you know, in the Ford realm, you know, he manufactured trucks and had a huge, you know, had this family history that my grandmother needed to pass down. Well, my grandmother paid a lot of money, which I found out after I was, you know, after I found my family to adopt me. So, for the first time ever, you know, I'd say 59, I realized, oh my God, I was purchased. I wasn't adopted. You know, you don't realize that. And my whole life growing up, you know, my grandmother would say, oh, you got to know the history of your grandfather and blah, blah, blah. You know, and as a kid, you don't even think about that garbage. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. And so... But we moved to California. And of course, my grandmother being, you know, we were the only grandchildren and everything. She followed along and we were out there. And at the age of about, I would say, 12, 13, my mom had a falling out with her mother. Remember, this is my adoptive mom with her only mother and cut off all ties with her. After she moved out to California with the family? Yeah. Well, and the grandmother moved out too, right? Is that what you yeah. Mean? yeah? Yeah, everybody moved out. And the yeah. grandma was the wife of a uh, rich guy, right? Uh, no, daughter. 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 Okay. Yeah, daughter. Yeah. And the reason we moved out there is my adoptive father had like, you know, 12 brothers and sisters. And the nine brothers all served in the military and they all went 
California from Illinois and said, you know, we're out of here. <laughs> we're moving to California. So they were pretty much all of them were out there. Not all of them, but a lot of them. So when they had the falling out, my grandmother and I were very, very close. And, you know, as a 12 year old, you don't understand what's going on. And what it was is back then at that age, my mom was the narcissistic savior type, which you have with adoptive moms. And they were both functional alcoholics. So it was, you know, they went to work every day. My dad worked six days a week. You know, we were latchkey kids. But grandmother was everything. She moved close. And, you know, at that point, we didn't have grandmother anymore. And that was the only, you know, the other grandmother was in Illinois. What was the falling out about? Did you ever find out? I really don't know. My never found out. No. (laughs) Rumor has it, as I talked to my two sisters that I grew up with, is that one day my grandmother apparently cut my baby sister, the chosen one, cut her hair a little bit. And I guess mom went ballistic on the fact that she cut the hair. You know, whether that was it, who knows? It could have been any number of a things. Build up, maybe. Probably a buildup, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a buildup. Yeah. I don't even think Louise and I would have a falling out if I cut her hair. Yeah. So I have to say that, you know, where I grew up was, you know, a great neighborhood. Lots of kids. We had lots of fun. You know, you know Southern California very well. Where were you? Um, it was North Hollywood. It's now called Valley Village. Heaven forbid you could be North Hollywood anymore. <laughs> I know. I remember yeah. when they became Valley Village. Yeah, that's where I lived. And so, but I mean, there was probably 20, 25 kids, you know, on the street. You know, it was a free-for-all all the time. You know, it was great. It was a great place to grow up. So typical, I won't say, I will say all of teenagers and whatnot, but I've heard it over and over and over again with adoptees. I started doing drugs and alcohol very early, you know, like when I was 12, because my parents were drinking, you know, my parents were drinking and, you know, started doing a little criminal stuff here and there that nobody ever really found out about. I was, you know, you know, I got away with it all, but at about, I would say 15 was, and I didn't think about it much until after I found my family, I had a huge falling out with my mom and she came down the hallway. And this is a big one in an adoptee world is She's screaming at me and I'm screaming at her and she goes, well, and I have a sleeping bag in my hand and she's screaming, get out of my house. And she takes all of my adoption paperwork and throws it at me and says, go find your real family. That's harsh. Yeah. But back then it wasn't as harsh. It is, believe it or not, now, you know, now that I think back on it, it was pretty bad, you know, for her to do that. Yeah, you can look back and see yourself as that child, and that is harsh. But at the time, you're like, whatever. Yeah, 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 whatever. And that's what it was. It was like, whatever. And the peacemaker of my dad came home and, you know, made everything okay. And, you know, I stuck around for a while longer. But, you know, like I said, I didn't think about it much at all back then. You know, it was just just like every family, every kid, it's like, okay, well, this is the family I grew up in. And this is like, isn't this like every other family? I mean, I don't know. You know, you don't know one way or another, but that was my, you know, the growing up part. Were you close to your, the sisters that you grew up with then? Or how much younger was the other adoptee? Uh, so two and four. So okay. it was, yeah, no, we fought all the time. There was never that closeness. 
you know, and it confuses me to this day because I have three kids of my own and my daughter and son who are two years apart at eight, 10 years old, they'd be sitting in the bedroom talking and I'm going, what are you doing? They go, we're just talking. I go, about what? (laughs) (laughs) We're just talking. They're friends. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, They're friends. It's like, well, that's not how I grew up. (laughs) It was weird to see my children, you know, like each other because we didn't, it wasn't that we disliked each other, but we never spent any time together. We would never think about going into other, you know, sitting around talking to each other. No way. And <laughs> you were, I wonder if there was some sort of like mentality of like each man for his own, I've got to look out for myself because yeah. you're in Yeah. This, well, when you, yeah. You know? When you have a dysfunctional family like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 You have to learn. Yeah, absolutely. How but, did your mom treat your baby sister, the chosen one? I like that you say that. Oh, we were sitting around probably, we were all in our 30s and I was visiting and we sat around the dinner table. We, you know, we were having dinner together and I said, you know, Laura, you were treated far better than Karen and I. You were, and she goes, and it took her until her 30s to go, yeah, I know. You uh-huh. know, she was treated with kick gloves where the adopted ones wasn't, you know, and that's a shame. That's not what's supposed to happen. You know, when, let me see, when you are chosen, she's the chosen one, but we were chosen to be adopted. (laughs) So it doesn't work out that way. So, so your mom throws the adoption papers at you. Did you leave? Did you stick around? I I probably left for the night and my dad, my dad was very good about smoothing things over, but he was very disconnected. You know, he wasn't a you know, he was a 60s dad, 70s dad. He didn't, you know, they worked six days a week and provided. They were not, you know, they weren't part of, that was my father. I'm sure there were other, you know, there's lots of other fathers that were different, but he provided well. I mean, we had a, like I said, great childhood, had a home to come home to, school, food on the table. So, you know, I can't, the only thing was, you know, like I said, he was disconnected. So, you know, but that's okay. You know, so I look back on it and I give him credit for having to deal with all that garbage, to be honest with you, because, you know, mom was a little bit, well, very dysfunctional. How are you in relationships and like in your 20s and, you know, how did mom? No, in general, like with you, how how are you? You know, a lot of adoptees are a little bit disconnected. Um, I didn't realize it until I found my family and started listening to podcasts and understanding adoptees. But, yeah, I'm not good at bonding. No, I don't do the bonding thing well at all. Uh, But I'm also one that never, ever gives up a relationship. In other words, I have my childhood friends. I still, people I've worked with, you know, and we were gone. I still keep in touch with my best friend growing up, still in touch with. And my wife always thought I was a really good guy because I would, you know, call these people out of the blue. And, you know, Doug, who I knew when I was, you know, five years old. I'd still keep up with, and he lives in Seattle, and I'm here in Atlanta, and she just thought I was a good guy, and then all of a sudden, once, you know, I'm listening to a podcast, and the guy goes, oh, yeah, I can't give up a relationship, you know, I'm scared to death, <laughs> I go, and all of a sudden, it's like, ding, 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 ding. Yeah, all the lights go off. <laughs> yeah, all the lights go off, which is great about the podcast and connecting, you know, it's therapy to understand it's that self-awareness of why you do things. I call it loyal to a fault. Mm -hmm. Thank you. That's a good one. I call it pathologically loyal. (laughs) (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I ended up, I was in LA and I ended up through a friend working in the television industry, which as you well know, since you're there, for someone who does a lot of alcohol and drugs at the time, is not the best industry to get into. Yeah. So I get a job. It was a really good job. You know, I have to give credit to the gentleman who hired me. He was a wonderful man. And I worked there for almost 15 years. I met my wife, you know, like less than a, maybe a couple of months after I started working there and we got married within six months. You know, it was very quick. And you're still together now. Oh, absolutely. Uh Yeah. Yeah. She's upstairs. He doesn't leave relationships, remember? <laughs> yeah. Thank right? you. Yeah. And he so, happens to love her. You know, we had a daughter within, you know, very quickly. And two years later, had a son. And I'm still working there, you know. And at this point, I'm in the television industry. I'm making more money than you know what to do with, right? You know, you're not supposed to make that kind of money young. So I'm buying, now I'm buying race cars. You know, I have, you know, these sports cars that I'm buying, you know, which plays into the story. So, we end up moving to Atlanta for the Olympics. I'm going to manage the Olympics. The company I work for rented television equipment to all of the studios and international whatnot. So we come here and my boss says, okay, you can go there for a year, but you know, I need you back here in Burbank, California. I said, yeah, okay. Well, I get here within a month, I buy a house and go, I'm not leaving. <laughs> And at this point, my wife is pregnant with my second son, third kid. And it's funny, it's a longer story. But when I was in California, one of my race cars, I crashed. I was drunk. I was high. I crashed it. And, you know, everything came crashing down. And I kind of cleaned up my life real quick, real quick. Friend of Bill. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we came to Georgia. And my baby son was only a couple of months old. And, you know, he's kind of a Southern boy as far as that's concerned. But it was kind of funny. uh, Here's where I have to remember this is that when we knew it was going to be a boy and we picked two names for my third son, and it was either going to be Daniel or James. And we let our second son pick the name and he picked Daniel. So my third son is, is Daniel or Danny, right? So here I am in Georgia, which I've already started to put a lot of weight because I stopped drinking and everything. And I started eating ice cream and I come to the South and it's like, oh, my God, barbecue, sweet tea. And so I got up to about 265 pounds. Wow. Yeah, I was huge. And so one day I'm at the soccer field with my baby boy, who's four years old, and they're playing bunch ball. If you've ever watched the kids play soccer. And I said, well, I'll walk the field. And I walked the field. And next time around, I walked it again. And then I ran it once. And I was like, I couldn't move for two weeks. (laughs) And I kept doing it. And next thing you know, I'm running races and I start doing adventure racing and mountain bike racing and all this other stuff. And my best friend back in California that I worked with in television, I was doing adventure racing and he's doing Ironman triathlons. So I said, you know, I'm sitting on the beach in Florida one day and I said, you know what, I'm going to give it a whirl. I'm going to try an Ironman. Well, a half one. So I did that. And, you know, it was fun. 
at about this time, you know, I'm losing weight pretty quickly at that point. But for some reason, I decided to do ancestry. And this was probably 10 years ago. And wait, I have a quick question about because when your kids were born, did you have any kind of sense like, oh, wow, this is my first biological? No, no. And I heard that over and over again. And I wonder why. To this day, I um, I feel almost kind of guilty that I didn't want to know more about my DNA, my mirroring, you know, all that stuff. And I didn't, you know, and my boys, you know, when you look at my two boys in a picture of mine, it's like, yeah, that's, that's dad and sons, you know, I mean, we look alike. But it never dawned on me. I mean, I really didn't care that I was adopted. Did so, your wife say anything? Like, oh, these are your... First, you know, maybe she did, but it didn't click. I never cared. It really didn't matter to me that I was adopted. So I did Ancestry only because I was kind of curious, where did I come from? Because back then it was like, it was just, where did you come from? And it was like, oh, I'm like 50% Russian Finnish. It's like, oh, great. Okay. Well, I know that much. And I I went on my happy way and... (laughs) I well, we were no, just talking. I, I'm laughing only because we were just talking about this, the searching part. But go on. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, and I, so I'm listening to more and more podcasts. I'm doing more and more triathlons now. I've done like three or four at this point, four full Ironmans. I keep doing them, and I'm listening to a health podcast now. And I'm into podcasts, not adoption. Thank you. <laughs> And one of them was, oh, if you do 23andMe, the DNA is so sophisticated, you send it to this next company and it'll tell you which vitamins and minerals are good for you. Uh So again, I don't care about 23andMe. I only care about health stuff. Yeah. So I send it off on its happy way. And I do that. And was it like a year and a half later? No, let me back up. Five years ago, six years ago on Ancestry. For some reason, I was logged into it. Whatnot. I got an email on Ancestry and some girl sent me an internal email there and says, hey, we're closely related. Who are you? And I said, I don't know. I'm adopted. Told her who I was. And she sent me back a few days later. She goes, well, we don't know who you are. And I go, well, if you find out, great. Let me know. <laughs> and that was the end. You know, I didn't care. So and- many people would like... Just be so excited about that. I know, so yeah, <laughs> some people would be jumping up and down about it. And I didn't Thanks care. for reaching out, best, Michael. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I'm, you know, two and a half years ago, I'm at the beach. And 23andMe, if you've done it, they send you emails all the time about new medical studies. And, oh, you might have twitchy eye syndrome or whatever it might be. So I logged in. It's like, no, I don't have that trait. And I said, I'll check my relatives. And lo and behold, here is Chuck, who is my nephew. And then there's three other people that are my first cousins. I said, oh, well, wow. And so I said, well, I wrote my email to him in 23andMe. He said, I don't know who I am. You know, I don't know anything about me, blah, 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 blah. And a week later, I get a phone. I get a phone call from Florida, which I ignore. You know, I don't need another timeshare. And I, I get a text message. Hey, this is Chuck, and that was the name on the thing. I go, you want to talk? And I said, yeah. And I came down to this room, which is our workout room in the basement. 
And I sat down on the same bench that I'm sitting on now. And I called him and I said, hey, Chuck, we might be related. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, are you sitting down? I go, yeah. Matter of fact, I am. I go, well, I'm your brother. Not a cousin. Not a cousin. 23 and me had it wrong. And as you guys have talked to enough people, this is where time stops. And you really don't hear anything else. And we were on the phone for 45 minutes. The few things I remember is him saying that, oh, you have a sister. She wants to talk to you. And your mother lives down here too. And she even said that. She said, he said the same thing my sister did. Our mother, right from the get-go. You know, I was like, which was so, I guess that probably, what put me in the twilight zone is like, what? You know? And, the terminology um, must have been like, whoa. Yeah. And not to mention, I had two sisters growing up. I never had a brother, you know? So it was like, what? You know, I mean, everything about it was kind of weird. And well, not even weird, just out of body. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing's out of body. And he just goes, you know, the only thing mom wants to know is if you've had a good life. And it took me a long time and I could show you around this room, but I got big mirrors in the room everywhere because it's a workout room. And I'm standing now and looking at myself. And for someone to ask you, have you had a good life? You have to think back about damn near everything. You know, I mean, it's just the hardest question in the world, I guess. And what I finally came to the conclusion to tell him after towards the end, I go, tell you, this is what you say to her is that all three of my children are always very worried about me when I go out bike riding, you know, cause I go out, I go and ride all the time on the roads and they all said, Hey dad, you know, you're, you know, it's pretty dangerous out there. I go, I know guys, you know, but let me tell you right now, if I get hit on the road and I'm dead, one thing I want you to know is I've had a really good life and I'm proud of all three of you. And I couldn't have asked for anything better. And I conveyed that to my brother and said, pass that on to mom. That's the best way I can tell her that I've, you know, that's what my life has been. And so, and whether he conveyed it that way, I don't know, you know, who knows? He probably didn't hear anything either when he's talking, you know? So Had he always known about you or? Okay. So here's what happened. I'll try to put it in a nutshell. My birth father and mother, he was a senior in college. She was a sophomore. It was a one night stand in Illinois. And he went back home to mom and dad's after graduated because he was a senior. It was the end of the year. And he hooked up with his high school sweetheart, which was the plan all along. She went to college somewhere else. They got engaged and got married within six months. Meanwhile, my birth mother is back at college and all of a sudden she's done and it's summertime and uh oh, <laughs> something's not right. Yeah. And, you know, so she goes home and this is how dumb I am. I didn't even know abortion was illegal in the 60s. I was, you know, baby scoop boy, but didn't know it until I started listening to podcasts and understanding this. And her father was a doctor. So when she came home and told him, she goes, well, you have two choices. You can put him up for adoption or have an abortion because, you know, he could do that. And she just said, all she said Uh to me when I asked her about that, because I did ask her, she said, it just didn't feel right. 
So she went to the, you know, the birth mother's home and, you know, gave birth and went on her happy way, went back to college, got married. And, you know, she told her husband, her future husband, that, you know, she had given a kid up for adoption. She thought it was the right thing to do. They worked for 10 years, gave birth to my sister, half sister. And then three years later, my half brother. Was she in that? You mentioned the home. What was the name of it? Cradle. Oh, no, the Cradle Society was where I was adopted. But she, she wasn't was, there. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, no. The Cradle Society is strictly in a, an adoption. An adoption agency. Okay. Adoption yeah. agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So who got she the big bucks? In, the adoption right. agency. Right. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 She, was, she said she was at something <laughs> called the Singer House, is what um, she remembers. You know, unwed mother's home. Yeah. So 20 years later, my sister is pregnant. Oh, okay. So they're married. They get a divorce. He moves to Florida with the kids. She moves to Vermont and my sister gets pregnant with her first kid. And she's worried because my birth mother had had, you know, miscarried her first child. And dad goes, oh, no, that was a car accident. And oh, by the way, you can never tell your mom this. My sister is now 20. She gave birth to a son, you know, before we were married. That's how your so sister, my, your half sister found out. My half sister. And then she told the half brother, they kept it a secret from mom for 28 years. So they both knew. So when you found they, them, they were like. They both knew. They both knew I was out there. And my half sister actually bought audio tapes, you know, books on tape back then on how to search for a relative. She actually searched for me. Hmm. So, and you know, they, what, they went and lived with their dad and your your mom was mom? up in Vermont. Yeah, mom was in Vermont. How old were they when she um, left them? When they got divorced, they were in their teens. And mm-hmm. when my birth mother, I mean, when my the ex-husband told my sister she was pregnant. Right, I her. got that. I was just yeah. wondering when... They got when divorced she... when they were teenagers. Yeah, so everybody on the birth mom side knew, you know, which is, is very interesting, you know, that that's they the, all that's do. not the normal, right? Well... It was a secret, but they all knew. Yeah. So, yeah. So after I was done talking to my brother, back to that, I was talking to my brother. Of course, he knew about me. You know, it wasn't a big surprise. It was just a big surprise that he found me. Right? Yeah. He knew about me forever. And he said, well, we're going out of town. And when I get back into town, we'll, you know, make arrangements to talk to mom. And I, you know, like, how do you wait? You know, you don't. Right. Right. So I said, no, 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 no. And so I, you know, I said, oh, please have my sister call me. And she she texted me and she goes, you ready for a phone call? And I said, yeah. And this is the one that was the whole mirror. You know, when everyone talks about mirroring, you know, the family stuff, we started talking. She's 10 years almost to the date younger than me. I'm January 26th. She's February 3rd. We, we joke with mom, did you, did you worry we were going to have the same birthday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We both do triathlons. We both surf. We both were swimmers in high school. We both mountain bike. We both, you know, we do everything. And she actually traveled the country to see Def Leppard concerts. She was hardcore <laughs> Def Leppard. And when my wife calls me, her ringtone is Def Leppard, pour some sugar on me. I mean, it's kind of crazy. So you and your half-sister, your younger half-sister are just totally close. We're just, yeah, it's the weirdest 
thing when it happens so, to you. How long ago was that that you found each other? Two years ago. I'm oh, it's 61. really new. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was 58 when this all happened. And have you yeah. met in person yet? Oh, uh, when it first happened, after those first couple of phone calls, you did the Facebook, you did the text messages, you did everything. And for two weeks, I was numb. I didn't laugh. I didn't smile. I had no emotions whatsoever. And finally, you know, we have a travel trailer. And I said to my wife, I go, we're out of here. You know, we're in Atlanta. I'm going, we're going to Tampa. And so I called him. I go, is it okay if I come down? And they all said, absolutely. You know, because they all knew about me. You know, I was, I was a known commodity. And I went down and the first morning, yeah. And I, (laughs) and I, the first morning I went down, I, you know, or we drove down the first morning I was meeting with my sister because she was going out of town and she walked up and we walked into the restaurant and looked at, I looked at her in the eyes and I go, it's real. And she goes, yeah, it's real. And it wasn't real until that moment. None of mm-hmm. it, you know, Facebook, whatever, text messages, phone calls didn't make it real. And so we had breakfast together, took a couple of pictures and left. I had no idea that we're almost identical twins. You know, you don't see that, you know, as an adoptee. You know, my wife was just blown away by it. And so that afternoon, you know, I made arrangements. I went over and saw my birth mother that day, you know, and so walked up, she's out watering her plants. And I go, is that Mary Ellen? And she goes, yes. And I went up and gave her a hug. And she goes, well, thank you for that. You know, she's a very strong woman, very, very, very strong woman. And I think she was very worried how I would react. You know, would I what you know how it would go and we spent two hours talking and she even said afterwards she goes yeah i noticed you were looking around the room all you know the whole time i'm looking at all of her art and her books and stuff and i'm just trying to feel who this woman is you know and she goes how about we go to dinner and i said yeah okay let's go to dinner and she went into the bathroom got you know ready to go and she came out and I had read enough by then because I was part of the Cradle Society group that, you know, there's a few reunion stories and whatnot that I've read. Not many, not very many at all. And she goes, you know what I feel about this whole thing? And I'm going, uh oh, you know, in the back of my head, I'm going, here it comes. You know, I'm glad I got to know you, but we can't do this. And blah, blah, blah. And she goes, I finally feel complete. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. So she was, you know, and I was like, wow. So we went to dinner and the next day we were there and my brother came over with his son and daughter and wife. And we spent the whole afternoon together yapping away, talking. And it was really cool. I mean, that was my initial thing. And that's what kind of made it real for me at that point, you know, how did you become involved in Adoptees Connect? Was it around this time just because of everything happening? Oh, no, no. It was way after. Oh, it was after. Uh, it, was, it was due to being listening to podcasts all the time mm-hmm. and, and getting all of that. So, yeah, as far as that was concerned. So a couple of months later, you know, after being connected with them, I finally went to, I realized that my bro- a half-brother's son was only 9% for me, right? 
connected to me on Ancestry. And there was a guy on both Ancestry and 23andMe that was like 5%. I said, well, he might be close. And I, so I sent him a note. I go, hey, do you know this person, you know, these two names? And he goes, oh, yeah, I know them well. And the one is doing Ancestry all the time. He actually gave me his phone number and said, go ahead and call me. And so I called him and he goes, oh, yeah, I know this person well. And I went, okay. And he goes, yeah, you should check her out. She's on Ancestry. So I, you know, a couple hours later, I go back to Ancestry. And sure enough, the girl from five years ago said, hey, have you been talking to Jeffrey today? And I said, yeah. Oh, the girl that sent you the original Ancestry message. Five years ago that I didn't care about. And so what happened was, is it turned out that she was my birth father's sister. Okay. And no one in the family knew anything about me. That's why she was like, we don't know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. She didn't know anything about, but my birth mother, you know, she says she told him, but who knows? You know what I mean? So you, have you reached out to him? I mean, have you... he, he passed away 10 years ago. Oh, okay. Oh. She immediately contacted his son, his eldest son, which would be my half brother. Your brother, yeah. He told her about me and that put everything in motion. And now I've actually met the he my birth father who passed away had four sons and a daughter. So I've met three of the half brothers and the sister. So they've been welcoming to you. You know what? They didn't know anything about me. But and I mean, once what, they found out, it wasn't like, go away. It was, it was, it was very, very, very hard for them. Mm. They revered their father. I'm not going to say they did or didn't. They revered their father. And to have somebody like me put in the middle of it is pretty rough. You know, I can look back now that it's been a couple of years. It was all, you know, and it's still, it's all about me. You know, I'm an adoptee. My world has changed forever. You know, and there's no way of fixing it. You know, it's done. But I'm finally getting to the point where I can try to give them some empathy because I've really put a wrench in their life. All of them, you know, as far as that's concerned, both mom and dad's side, but especially dad, because nobody knew about me on that side. And not, even, it, not even the father, probably. Maybe he Is didn't. You're, no, you're... according to my birth mother, he knew. Oh, he knew. Yeah. He, Did she after, have a conversation with him? After she put me up for adoption. Oh, okay. Had a conversation. But what is he going to do? He, you know, he goes home. He gets married right away. Within two months, she's pregnant. And then she goes and says, hey, by the way, I just put your son up for adoption. You know, what is he supposed to do? I have a you very know? similar story to that. And, yeah. Uh, and they're, and well, they're young men dealing with this, which is an <laughs> very young. Yeah. Right out of college. Yeah. You know? And the, the interesting part is that she was one. If you've ever looked into it or read it, she was his wife. My birth father's wife was an adoptee from the Tennessee Ooh, Children's Society. Like Georgia Tan oh, era. Yeah. Yeah. She was a uh-huh. she was a Georgia Tan baby. Oh, my oh, gosh. My gosh. And he paid to search for her family. So it kind of makes she you still alive? wonder. Yeah, I talked to her multiple times. Oh, you have is she kind to you or very or? much so. Well, oh, good. Why, why wouldn't she? She's an adoptee. Right. Wow. Yeah. She's a, yeah. Did I she mean, find her family ever? If you're saying yes, he paid, she did. She, yes, did. she did. Yeah. Yeah. So he paid yeah. for her to have that, but didn't look for you. Never said anything to anybody. Yeah. So who knows if my birth mother 
you know, I don't, don't know. know. No. I don't know for a fact. I mean, my birth mother's pretty, pretty smart cookie. You know, she's, she's a nurse. Well, she was an EMT and a flight paramedic and a nurse, you know, and you always wondered why my daughter wanted to be a nurse. Well, <laughs> yeah, there it is, you know. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's got a lot of twists and turns, you know, I know I meant to say is it was the first time I talked to my mom, you know, and I had mentioned how, you know, my son's Daniel, my youngest son, when my mom, the first time I talked to her, she said, oh, you know, I named you. Did you want to know what your name was? And I said, oh, yeah, I wasn't really ready for that. And she goes, oh, well, I named you Daniel. So I have the same name is my son. And what was my birth father's name? James. So so, so the names that, you know, we were going to give to my youngest son was either James or Daniel. (laughs) So interesting. It was fun. You know, it was fun stuff. It is. But yeah, I mean, I'm very much closer to the mother's side, you know, because they all knew about me, the father's side, you know, it's hard for them. I'm sure it is. And I don't push it. You know, I mean, if they want to contact me, I'm great with it. If they don't, I'm okay with it. You know, they've got a whole life. They've lived their whole life and I'm, I'm okay with that. And I've lived my life. So when they met you, when they met you, were they curious about you and like, kind of like, whoa, you know what it is. And I think a lot of people have said this one way or another, but I have to say that as much as my mom and dad were the functional alcoholics and dysfunctional family, you know, where I grew up was a great neighborhood. And I look back at on mom's side, you know, the divorce and moving across different, you know, states and everything and not having a home. And then I hear about how my birth father's family grew up. And it's like, you know, I don't know if I would pick any one of the three of them. You know, they're, it's, you know, where I grew up is where I grew up. And yeah. the friends I have that I grew up with, I still have today. So I can't say I wanted to trade my life. Yeah. To live with, you know, my birth parents. Yeah. Well, I think it's more not even about like, it's a deeper thing than that. And you you don't know what it would have been. Anyway, I'm curious where you're at now with your adoptive family. My adoptive father passed away a year before my daughter was born. Like, you know, so 34 years ago. Mm -hmm. Right. And so he's out of the picture. That's fine. I mean, my adoptive mom, she's not doing great. She's in California. But when I did find the family, she was okay with it. And finally, I broke down and said, hey, by the way, mom, I found my birth father. I figured that was safe because both of them were dead. And I waited about two months and I said, hey, by the way, guess what? I found my birth mother. And she goes, oh, well, you know, and she was kind of okay with it. The first thing out of her mouth was, though, have you talked to her? And I said, Oh yeah. She goes, you don't call her mom. Do you? (laughs) I think that's what they would say, you know? Yes. And actually believe it or not. Yes. I mean, probably six months into it, she picked up the phone because I talked to her probably two or three times a week. And so about six months into it, she picked up the phone. I go, Hey mom. And she was real quiet for a second. And she says, yep, I own it. (laughs) Wait, yeah. this is your birth mother? My birth mother. My oh, birth okay. Mother. Yeah, she's very much okay with that. Have your you know, my, adopted mom met your birth mom or anything like that? 
Uh, no, no, no. My adoptive mom's not in the state now. She's 92 and yeah. she's not ready to do that at all. So, and in a side note, after my first phone call with my half brother that first night, the first phone call I made was to my adoptive sister. It just made sense, you know? I, mean, yeah. I don't know why, right? You know, you just wanted to tell somebody and who else would you tell but the person who would understand? Yeah. And she did 23 and me that night. Oh, oh she, she did. did. And that, so is she, she now did. finding? Two weeks later, I get a phone call from her and she very rarely calls me. Very rarely. And it's dead silence on the other side. She goes, I got four half sisters. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got her own story. <laughs> I like that you could be there for her, like a journey yeah. with her. She's okay with it. It's just she's not comfortable with it. She did it because of what happened to me and not because of she was ready for it. So, yeah. but the fun part, when I went up to Chicago to meet my family up there, my, you know, birth father's side, we went to the bears, you know, Chicago bear game. You know, that was my adoptive dad and my birth dad were huge bear fans. So we uh -huh. went to the football game tailgated and I went to the other parking lot and met, here's a fun one. I met my adoptive sister's half-brother who was tailgating. Wow. So yeah, on each side of the stadium, you have two different things yeah, going on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so get over there and take pictures with them. And my sister who lives in San Diego calls me up. She goes, where are you? And I go, I'm at the stadium. She goes, well, have you gone over? And I go, look at your text messages. I just sent her the picture. And so she has a picture of her adoptive brother and her half-brother wow. from that day. Yeah. Wow. It was a really great day to spend with them at, you know, at the stadium. And, you know, we had a lot of fun. And like I said, I don't push that relationship. You know, I want it to happen organically if they want it to happen. So, well, it sounds so, you know, like that it's early days, right? I mean, it's still really. It's two and a half years. That's pretty new-ish. That you know? is pretty new. I, you know, I've listened to enough podcasts and you guys have interviewed enough people to know that two and a half years in the world of reunion is brand new. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is like a good reunion story. Yes. You know, I hear the podcasts over and over again in the year reunion stories. And I just, you know, I feel blessed that it's a, you know, the way my story has gone and the way people have treated me and everyone is, you know, everyone's done their thing. You know, if it goes astray, it goes astray. I'm kind of okay. I hope it doesn't. I yeah. really pray it doesn't. But it's been really, really nice to meet That's everyone so and to be great. part of everyone. My final thing is the funniest one of all is not funny, but, you know, my adoptive mom, who's the narcissistic, you know, savior type. <laughs> she never got along with my wife, never said 10 words to her her whole life, you know, kind of thing. You know, she was like a non-person. It turns out that who's my wife's best friend? I walk in the room and my wife is on the phone talking and I'm going, who's she talking to? And I go, Oh my God, she's talking to my birth mother. Oh, <laughs> they talk nice for her. all the time. And my wife has gone down there twice and actually stayed with her without me. Oh. That's, I love that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and for my wife, I'm so happy for her that she finally, yeah. it's not As a mother-in-law. Mother it yes. is a mother-in-law, but it's, you know, it's, she never had that. And, you know, everything they like you know, is the same. They're, they love gardening. They love this and they love that. And they're, you know, so it's, that's truly a blessing to see those two get along so well. That's well, a neat full circle. I, it really is, I'm amazed yeah. by your story because you came to it so late in life, like 
just the blinders yeah. on. And then all yeah. of a sudden you're like so involved. So it's, yeah. It's, and you help other adoptees, which is interesting. Well, Speaking of, starting. yeah, before we jump off, could you tell people uh, a little, you know, about if they don't have an about Adoptees Connect and how they can find yeah. it? We have Adoptees Connect in Atlanta. It's called Adoptees Connect Atlanta. And actually Tiffany and I who run it, we don't care who joins us. It's supposed to be Atlanta people, but over the months now, we've had people from California, Arizona, you know, it's like whatever. Originally, it was meant for people to get together in person. And of course, COVID made that impossible. So the Zoom call started and then it was supposed to be, well, you know, Zoom in Atlanta. And so we started and it went on, a, you know, it started to bloom a little bit and we just said, okay, we don't care. You know, we're all adoptees. We're all like family. You know, we all, we can instantly talk to each other without it. You know, it's easy. And so we don't care who joins us and it's Adoptees Connect. You can find it on Facebook. And the other thing that I'm part of now, it's the uh, Georgia Alliance for Adoptee Rights. Oh, right. You're telling us about this. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's a bill that's going to be going on next year not the election year. You know, they want to try to pass it. And that's going to be where in Georgia, you can at 21, you can get your either 18 or 21. I have to look again. You can get your original birth certificate. No questions asked. And, you know, it's a clean bill. In other words, it can't be, oh, well, if you're over 35 and you, you know, or if your birth parents say it's okay, no, they just want a clean bill. And like Vermont just passed it like two or three weeks ago. I read that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. there was, yeah. Someone we know from Twitter who was very active. In right. That. Right. And so, you know, and the only reason I'm involved with that is not because I'm that I understand it. It's just that I live in Georgia and I could lobby my, you know, my representatives to vote for it. So there are people that are far more involved with it from the outside that are, you know, smarter than I am. <laughs> I thought about doing that here because it was, I got my original birth certificate, which was a shock because it had a name on it different than what I was told, but it was only because both of my birth parents were are no longer alive and uh, I had to get it notarized. It, and I mean, yeah. just, is that from California? That you Missouri, I'm in Missouri now, which is uh, where I was okay. born. And right. Yeah. So yeah. I thought I should do that here. I mean, the reality is, is I don't know why they even fight it anymore because <laughs> between 23 and me and ancestry and jet match and all this other stuff, you know, Pandora's it's box like, is open. You, yes. you you know, why do you even try to stop it? So, but, you know, I hope it happens. And that just helps Georgia adoptees. I'm Illinois. And believe it or not, I, I sent away for mine about two months ago. And I didn't check one of the boxes right the right way. And they sent it back. So I just yeah, that recently. Happened. Yeah, happened yeah. Me. Did so you have to I get yours have, notarized? No, I didn't for Illinois. Illinois, believe it or not, as a liberal state, has opened their adoption records quite a while ago. So, and a lot of people I hear from like California is like, why would, you know, California. Yeah, in Colorado, that's where I'm from. Well, Well, New York too, I think they finally did. New York finally finally opened them up a couple of years ago. So I think it's gaining momentum. I mean, if a place like Vermont does it, believe me, (laughs) it will start to gain some ground. But well, you know, hopefully for all of us, because I mean, you listen, there's, there is a podcast that is Greg Louf, Adoptees Right Advocates, I think. And when people talk about it, it's, it's our right. It's our paperwork. It's not, you know, why can't we have information about us? You know, about as an us. Adult? I mean, right. We <laughs> yeah. are fully grown adults. I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah. 
So infuriating. Yeah. Well, thank you right for on. all your hard work yes. in that area. I yeah. haven't done a lot of hard work. I've done <laughs> quite a few podcasts, but you guys do. Far You've done more a lot of hard work. work. You do the Adoptees Connect and you yeah. you reach out yeah. to people. I see you out there. Your podcast is great. You're reaching out to more people than you know. And I'll leave with saying that all podcasts that I listen to, including yours, is my therapy. I don't uh-huh. have a therapist. I mean, it's too expensive and my insurance doesn't cover it as much as I'd like to <laughs> Well, do there's it. another battle. that <laughs> Right. But I think if adoptees listen to podcasts, it's very, very therapeutic. It is. It is. I feel like so. it's our therapy to me. Yes. Yes. Like talking yeah. to you is for a yeah. week. I'm full in this. Yes. Yes. Right on. Well, I thank both of you for what you do. So Thank you and for thank being you. here and thanks for sharing your story on. with us. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks, Michael. That was great. I mean, really almost couldn't have a better adoptions reunion story, rather. A reunion story. And also, I just, he makes me laugh how he just was the blinders on, like the sister writes him on 20th Ancestry. He's like, yep, bye. (laughs) Yeah, let me know if you know anything. And then also never thought about like that was his first biological relative, like the, yeah. the one that every, you know, everyone we've ever talked to, oh my God, when my child, he's like, nope, never thought about it, you know? Yeah, uh, he's great. And it's just about that whole adopting thing. Opening. That, yeah, eye opening. And he really had that awakening, as BJ Lifton talks about, you yes. know, a real awakening of wow. a real awakening. And now um, he's started Adoptees Connect in Atlanta and doing all this advocacy work. He's great. He is great. Well, this is for you, Michael. Yeah, Michael. Another <laughs> great episode. Another great episode. See you next See time. Next time. Thanks so much for listening today. And remember, if you'd like to share your stories or suggest any guests for our show, you can find us on all the socials at the Making of Me podcast. And again, we have a Patreon page so that we can continue to bring these great adoption stories to you. So if you want to find that and donate or contribute in any way, Find us at patreon.com, searching adoption, colon, the making of me. Bye. See you next time.